Welcome to the Orion Podcast with Jessa and Laurel. In this episode, we connect with James Merrill of Opolis Optics, a sunglasses brand where seers are believers. With a vision that puts himself out of business, yet leaves the world better than he found it, James is focusing on every line, turn, crack, and crevice, staring down the goal, the win, and the reward. Discover how ocean plastics removal and economic development in marginalized communities are key wins and rewards in Opolis Optics' honest supply chain of durable sunnies. Transform business, change the world. That's the Tory Project's mission. If you're concerned about environmental degradation, social injustice, or the shredding of our democracy, check out the Tory Project. This exciting new organization teaches entrepreneurs how to build highly profitable businesses that also act as a force for good in the world. Follow Tory Project on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Check out David J. Farron on LinkedIn to watch his videos designed for first-time founders and entrepreneurs. Sign up to join their next bootcamp or volunteer to help out at www.toryproject.org. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who's our guest today? We have James with Opolis Optics, the alliterative brand. (laughs) (laughs) We like you so much for being with us. And um, Jessa, how are we connected to James? So we actually got introduced to James through Jared Jared Chris Cuolo. We left because we like his last name. We were practicing it with him. And from Upcycle and Company, we talked to him a few weeks ago on the podcast. And when we were talking to him ahead of time, he was like, you have to meet my friend James. He's like, he does the most amazing work. He's an awesome brand. And um, so, yeah, so we got an introduction and James was gracious enough to join us. And uh, we learned more about Opolis Optics. And I have a feeling there's a lot, lot more to your story, and we look forward to you sharing that with us today. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited uh, about being on on the show today, uh, Jessalyn Laurel. Uh, I, I went through the podcast and saw what you had, you know, kind of gone through with Jared, and, and you guys are just doing such a, a cool thing. And he was uh, so excited to be on. So this is uh, a, a great opportunity for me. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, first we, we yeah. <laughs> Are we done? I'm I'm peaked for the day. Um, just kidding. So James, um, I know like you're an entrepreneur and you have this cool sunglasses company made with recycled plastic and this innovation. And I I think what would be interesting to hear is like how you know your what we Laura would say, your entrepreneurial journey and how you got to this point. Cause I know you have a different background that wasn't necessarily in the business world, but now you're this entrepreneur. And so I think if you could kind of start off to where, like where you started in your career and how it led you to founding Opolis. Yeah, that's a great question um, because the, the journey or the story kind of brings me to where I am now um, and where Opolis is kind of the brainchild of that. Um, so I'd worked for um, USAID as a, as a contractor. Um, so I didn't work directly for USAID. Um, so um, they would hire my company to go into places and implement their projects on their, on their behalf. Uh, I did that for about 10 years. My first assignment being in Bangladesh and then my last assignment being in Northern Nigeria. Um, and so through that, that decade, I was exposed to so many different things, so many different people, uh, so many different realities around the world. 
Um, and a lot of the projects I supported was is as diverse as the people that I met. Um, uh, Bangladesh, I was managing an, uh, an agricultural value chain project that was focused on getting tomatoes and mangoes uh, to the market from local farmers to help their local economies. Uh, I then went to uh, Kalimantan in Indonesia, helping with uh, the, the Javanese rhino, the orangutan, and other uh, endangered species initiatives, basically working with uh, anti-poaching -poach measures. And then my journey went to Pakistan and Afghanistan and Iraq, where I was focused more on um, violent extremism. And lastly, in Africa, working again in the violent extremism um, area, but focusing more at the uh, at, at, at where where the differences could be made within the youth the youth community within family and, and our young youngest generations to kind of uh, tackle that supply chain of violence early on. Um, so, with all that said, with all my journeys, the one thing that kept on coming up. Uh, wherever I went was this plastic issue. Um, and, you know, it was something that uh, deeply affected me to a point where I knew if I ever had left the, the contracting government world, that in some way or somehow I would, I would tackle this, this issue, um, whether it be, you know, uh, small scale or, or larger scale. Um, because it was interesting. We were working, a lot of the groups that we were working with were marginalized groups. Um, and these are the, these are the folks as, you know, can be labeled as like the losers or, or the, 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 the people that lived on the fringes or the outside. And a lot of these marginal, marginalized groups were affected by the pollution, plastic pollution the most. They were living in landfill communities. They were fishing in, in areas that were just completely polluted with with uh, with plastic pollution and as an outdoor enthusiast uh, surfer snowboarder and just uh, a huge advocate for, for the climate and the environment this really made a huge impact on me um, so you know skip two years ago uh, a friend of a friend of mine reached out and asked me to uh, to help him launch a, a new uh, sunglasses company and, and we did so and it went well. Uh, but one of the things that we kept on or I kept on noticing when we were coming out with the company is that people were really concerned about whether or not we were putting single use plastic back into the world. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about the company. It was a great experience and we were doing great things. We had a one for one um, um, aspect to the company. But it wasn't to the level of sustainability that I wanted. And people started really caring about what the, what the plastic was made from, where was it being sourced, how would it impact the environment, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when it kind of the light bulb hit. It's like, okay, people do care about this. I know this industry pretty well now, and this will tackle my goal of, of, of you know, my individual goal of addressing the plastic epidemic when I was going over to these places. So we decided to split ways and I started contacting everybody I knew within these countries that had a great network uh, that was covering uh, the plastic, uh, plastic uh, solution. Um, so I, I called my, my friends in, in Kenya, I, I called my friends in Indonesia, and I called my friends in, in the Philippines and I started developing a network um, and then really focusing on that supply chain. Uh, and then so 
that's essentially how the idea was uh, inspired. Opolis in, in its in its Latin root or Greek work re- Greek wording means um, citizen or community, and I thought that was a really appropriate name for kind of what I was trying to do uh, with you know a sunglasses company. Um, so that's essentially where it's brought brought me to where yeah. I am. Thank you so much for walking us through that because I know you just convinced yeah. how many years and stories I can only imagine into like, you know, whatever, three minutes. So thank you. Um, we have a million questions. So I just wanted to point out how incredible and remarkable it is that the common thread you saw in all your travels through all these countries and continents in dealing with animals and agricultural and violence, the common thread was plastic. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that is is such an impactful takeaway for the problem that plastic creates in our world today. Yeah. Well, and, and the biggest thing too was it's, it's Western plastic, you know, it's, it's, it's coming from, you know, the biggest plastic producers in the world, China, the United States, and these other Western countries. And it's soda, and bottles. soda bottles, water <laughs> bottles. It's just, uh, detergent bottles, HDPE bottles. It it was, it's everywhere. Um, because a lot of these, a lot of these places that the plastic pandemic is hitting the worst is a lot of them can't afford to drink a hundred bottles of Coca-Cola every other day. Right. So they're not only the ones kind of benefiting from it or, or polluting. Um, so they're, they're just left uh, holding literally the bag of plastic, uh, and dealing with it. Um, so that, yeah, it was an amazing kind of common denominator of ever, everything that I was dealing with. Um, and, and not to mention these de- developing countries don't really have the education or awareness to know what to do with, with, with this plastic, how, how, how it can be, how it can be recycled, how it can actually benefit them. Um, that's why I've partnered with the manufacturers that I have in these, these three countries, because they actually have a program of outreach that works with these communities to educate them on the benefits of environmental awareness, uh, environmental uh, cleanliness, uh, hygiene, and what they can actually profit from collecting these plastic bottles. Yes, and I, for our listeners, I want to reiterate that this is a classic, not a classic, a use case for the phrase environmental justice, where we cite projects that are polluting, like landfills um, or industrial projects, recycling centers, um, upcycling factories and things like that in disadvantaged or marginalized communities. And what this does is it keeps them poor, it keeps them polluted. And it is um, a huge subject in California. It's actually now a law that every land use authority in the state of California must prepare an environmental justice section as part of their long range land use planning. So all the general plans in the state of California must address environmental justice now. And that's a very recent thing. So imagine a very progressive, I'd like to think progressive state just now coming around to the topic of environmental justice and the communities that are suffering the most around the world that you saw. It's probably not a phrase that's spoken to or being addressed outside of these nonprofits that are providing education to help, to help educate these people about what's really going on. And I find that to be a huge travesty. 
Well, that's a really great term, environmental justice. Uh, I haven't come across that. I'd love to uh, steal that from you, Laurel. Um, but th th that's that's part of the supply chain, right? Is is addressing that issue, the environmental justice, um, and and it goes to what we've been focusing on, who we're working with. Um, the the three the, the three organizations that we're working, the PET manufacturers, they've been certified, they've been audited. Um, by U.S. and Swiss groups. Um, they are what they say they are, um, and they are committed in paying each waste collector that we have engaged above the minimum wage. So that's something that we've committed, and then we've kind of reinforced uh, with our uh, a partnership with those, those organizations. But I think that's a great point. Uh, Laurel, uh, this 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 idea of, of just environmental justice, um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm afraid that a lot of the other other folks that are using you know PET manufacturers, they're not really focused on that. They basically just want to be able to say, hey, we're using PET, we're using recycled plastic, but they don't know the con conditions and terms of of what that manufacturer is actually kind of emplacing or enforcing on, on the people or communities that it's engaged with. So that's a to great that end, will you um, walk us through what a supply chain looks like and what PET is and where it comes in the supply chain all the way from like the source of the material, the refinement and manufacturing and the people involved in that supply chain? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, so what we what we start with is our waste collectors, um, and I think it's it's important for me to preface that the plastic that we use is defined as outbound plastic. So this plastic basically is plastic that is as either found in the ocean or is about to be kind of disposed into landfills and oceans. So we're making sure that this plastic is actually, it's not coming from like out of our, our blue recycled centers, right? It's, it's, it, it, it was meant for the being into the environment or it's, it's found in the environment. So our waste collectors are, are tasked in going through and sorting various types of, of plastic. We're focusing on PET, and I always mispronounce the name. Um, it's uh, here, I, I've got it. Uh, polyethylene temperofolite. Three more times fast. Yeah, I know. And I've been working with this in this for like over a year, and I, can't, I still can't pronounce it. But that's it's PET for, for layman's terms and, and on people like me. Yeah, um, and that's why it's called PET. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and actually, it's, you know, it's the most commonly used plastic out there. Um, and it's the, the most polluted. Uh, but the best thing about PET is that it has re amazing recycled prop properties. That's why we're, we're looking to PET for uh, a, a durable product, just as just like we're doing with the premium sunglasses. Um, so anyway, we we we've tasked our waste collectors to go out, whether it's the land landfills, uh, you know, in Kenya or the beaches or oceans in Indonesia or the Philippines. Uh, they they typically know the difference between HDPE and PET at this point. They've been well educated on what they're collecting. HDPE are is, is more or less like the shampoo bottles or detergent bottles that you find. Uh, and we would love to use that. And you can use com components of this, of, of this material in sunglasses. But for us, uh, it, it's, not as, it's not as good as, as the PET. 
and there's more plastic, there's plastic soda bottles and plastic water bottles out there. So we're, we're focusing on the removal of that. Um, HDPE hopefully will, will, will address that <laughs> when we make some headway. So our waste collectors go through, they, they, they pick the, the PET products, the water bottles and the soda bottles. They bring, I don't know how many tons of that to uh, their community where the community actually sorts uh, to make sure that the, the, the right materials are going in the right bins. Then those bins are sent to uh, the PET manufacturer where they, where they clean, they heat, and then they grind. Um, and basically what they're doing for us is creating um, PET pellets or uh, PET flakes. Then those PET pellets and flakes are then sent to our, our, our manufacturer in, in China. Um, and I, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that word China, uh, but for the most part, these, these guys, these, these, the manufacturer that we're using in, in China are the, the best that they, what they do. And I'll have to be honest, there is not a lot of people that, that know how to use PET in the way that we do or need to. Because there's a lot of industry, there's a lot of industry out there that are doing amazing things with PET fabric, um, like our friends at Got Bag, uh, Rothy's with shoes. I mean, they're just doing amazing things. And Nomadics with with there it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but it it doesn't need that durability that you know sunglasses require. So hence we're we're, we're in China doing doing that. So that's kind of like the happy Lunar New Year. To oh, our Chinese. That's right. Friends. Yeah, yeah. Chinese New Year. China. Yeah. Yep. Continue. Yeah. So I mean, that's the that's the extent of it. I mean, I can go I can go into like you know the nitty gritty of it, but overall, that's what it is. Um, but I have to emphasize that the supply chain is who we are as a company, and we are invested in that supply chain from the very beginning, meaning that we are invested in those waste collectors. We are invested in the communities that the waste collectors and manufacturers are located in. Um, and that includes education, uh, awareness, hygiene practices, uh, and everything else that involves that, and especially uh, increasing the economic livelihoods in those, in those, in those places. Uh, and I don't want to harp on what I was doing for the government for a long time, but a lot of the violence and radicalization that would come out of these communities, are the, the marginalized communities, were the folks that were economically on the downturn. They were, uh, they were insecure about their, their stance in life. They were just beat up. Um, and so to give people a little bit more cash gives them a little bit more confidence and 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 um, and a better stance in life. Uh, so when they do get approached by groups, they're less little, less likely to join these these folks because these groups more or less are paying them right away. And although these people aren't radical or violent, they need cash and they need cash right away to support their their growing families, their big families. So and I think well, what you're saying there. Or sorry to cut you off. I feel like no. you're about to have this big point, and I'm like, but. Uh, <laughs> no, nope. I mean, what you're saying is like, it reminds me of, you know, we were talking about this abroad and I mean, the U S we have the same situations in low income areas where you talk about like drug dealing or gang violence or, you know, theft, whatever it is. I mean, people are doing like your basic needs aren't met. You're going to do what you need to do to survive. Like it's literally right. like we think of Maslow's hierarchy all the time and, you know, it's survival mode first. Yeah. And so you're going to have, you're going to take what options are available to you. And it doesn't mean you want to do something bad. You don't want to do something illegal, 
But if it's between like survival or, you know, maybe compromising values, I mean, what do you do? You're, you're, so I think, you know, when you talk about this and it's, I just want to point out, cause you, I think people only said this once and you said it premium sunglasses. Mm-hmm. That's what Opalus is yeah. <laughs> and because it's, so, it's so much more than that. And when yeah. listening to you talk about it, it's, it's, I think that you're really highlighting what sometimes consumers get fixated on the wrong points. Like, because mm-hmm. for so long, it's like drilled in us to like buy American, buy local, which is really good depending on what you're buying. But there are other things that you can support other areas through your purchases. And so with someone like Opolis or I'm sorry, someone like you founding and operating Opolis, mm-hmm. operating Opolis, Opolis Optics is it's so intentional. Like you've mm-hmm. thought through every piece of the supply chain and why it matters and why it's impactful. And it's not, and, and you shouldn't be transparent about it. You should be very, I mean, it sounds like you're very proud of it and the work you're doing. And then as a consumer, when you're buying a product like this, you can feel good about it because you're putting it out there. Like, Hey, th- this is what we did. This is why we did it. We didn't go to the lowest bidder. We didn't get the cheapest material. We're not making the biggest margin. We're like improving the quality of life. We're taking plastic out of the ocean, put it on your face <laughs> safely. Um, but I just think that it's it's always interesting because it's not just a sunglasses brand, right? And I want it to be more than that. I, I want to be. I want this to be uh, the first step in a bigger direction, right? I, I, I'm I'm hoping that w- if we can figure out, and we we're, we're getting there with the, with our, our trademarked uh, PET plastic engineering. Um, and we're, we're hoping that we can then share this technology or s- share this method with other people that are want to still use uh, durable plastic, but they can use durable plastic in a really sustainable and really great way. They can use it using PET, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's been the hard part of this whole process. And that's why I'm here like a year and a half still kind of uh, problem solving and troubleshooting the, the PET pr- manufacturing. Um, I mean, I have an example for you. So we were, I think we're one of the, one of the very first to like come up. So this is, this is one bottle, and I'll, which is I'll, amazing. I'll walk you, the listeners, it is a clear frame, dark colored black glasses, and they look, what would you call that design? The shape of the glasses? Is it- well, it's just a Wayfair, Wayfair, Wayfair design. It's, it's square. So these were the ones, the, these sunglasses are from our supply chain from Bali, Indonesia. So our Balinese uh, waste collectors uh, collected the PET, PET was sent to our certified uh, manufacturer um, outside of Jakarta. Um, for, the, for the most part, the tinsel strength, which is the, the strength of the, the plastic is really great. There's just a little bit more fine tuning that we need to, to do to actually make those the premium product that Jess actually mentioned. Um, and and to, to correspond with our bio our, our biodegradable collection that we're also releasing to complement um, the sustainable upcycle aspect of the company. Um, but it's it's there. Um, it's just taken a long time. And you know, if if I'm going to be honest and frank with both of you, um, a lot of my discussions with investors, you know, private equity folks, angel investors, all that stuff, a lot of them don't want to invest in me because. They, they think sustainability is too cost intensive and it's, it's too time intensive. And yeah, it is. That's, that's the point. 
you, you know, uh, I, I, do, I don't want to put out something that's going to hurt, hurt the environment. That's the whole point of this. And so f- from, from a cost standpoint, I can understand what they're saying. And it, it's a risk. Uh, it's a risk from their standpoint. It's a cost thing. I, I get it. But if that's the first thing that's coming to their their mind when we're talking about having a partnership, then I'm already. I've already kind of. I, I I'm not dealing with them. They're not the right partner for me. You're not going to get married to someone who doesn't align with your core values and who's only driven is the financial ROI, which is based on a cost that doesn't. Uh, doesn't absorb the negative externalities or the environmental costs or the the societal costs Correct. of the pollution itself. If you were to, I'm not saying that we need to metricize or numericize sure. or quantifize every all of life, but if yeah. you were, the cost of not doing this is greater than doing it. And so a VC um, who is more in line with stakeholder capitalism and a long, <clears throat> excuse me, long range view on returns instead of short term. Yeah they would get that that idea and they are out there there are some impact vcs out there in the world and it it is not easy i uh, i applaud and commend you for not accepting the first marriage proposal and yeah yeah because it's been it's been scary as hell you know uh jess and i talked a little bit about this yesterday and it's it's when you're putting your heart and soul into it but you still got to put food on the table it's it's a very scary thing um uh, especially during during covid but um I, I i do believe in 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 the supply chain i do believe in the product um and i i refuse we we spoke about this yesterday too uh, the greenwashing i i i don't want i, I I don't want to leverage being sustainable as a marketing gimmick to sell my sunglasses. You know, um, I, 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 ref, I refuse to do that. And, and that's why I'll, I'll tell people where they're, they're manufactured. I'll, I'll tell them that the struggles and the obstacles that are, that go through with this, but um, I'm, I'm not going to be those, those, the, the, another sunglasses company that says, Hey, we're using 5% recycled ocean plastic. So we're a sustainable comp- company or sustainable product. No, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I think, or sorry, with what you're talking about is, you know, it's reminding me of some other companies we've spoken to and some of the more interesting entrepreneurs. Sorry, I keep hearing myself. That's why I'm pausing. So sorry if this sounds weird, but is that they use their product to tell a story. So it's not really necessarily about bringing sunglasses to market. It's about the process you can do to take the waste of the plastic and turn it into something that people are going to buy. And then, you just know, like you said, beyond that, what's next with sunglasses. And I'm thinking of very early on, we had Dr. Bronner's and they're like, mm. ours is to tell the story of how we are all one. We're all connected. And uh, we sell soap to do that. And that's yeah. why their labels are so weird because it has their whole manifesto. And then The one we talked about, um, you know, our podcast right before this, we were talking about with Article 22 um, and the jewelry. It's like it's to tell the secret war and from the Vietnam War in Laos and through jewelry. And so like having a conversation piece and having these sunglasses, the opalus and like people ask about them and you start to tell that story. And then I think that will highlight the greenwashing that goes on with other places because someone's going to be able to say, and sorry if I'm saying it's like, these are hundred percent recycled material, like PET recycled material and like getting your consumer or customers on board with that. Um, I think will be really 
we'll feel good about it. We'll feel good about wearing those. And I mean, I'm thinking as we're talking, I'm like, I have a drawer full of like 20 cheap sunglasses. So do and even I. Like yeah. The nice, the, you know, the quote fancy nice ones that I spend like, you know, however much money on just for that little tiny label so I can promote their brand that I right. don't believe in. I don't believe their values. I'm just like, oh, these right. look cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I want to highlight also that Well, let me sit back. I would love to ask you, James, what is your definition of sustainability? Because if there's one thing that we've learned through Orion and our general experience in business is that it means something, it's different to everyone. So if somebody thinks that having 5% recycled plastic is enough for them to be sustainable, I just want to see what they, on their website, what they think sustainability is. Because it also may be the case that they're totally unaware Mm of what else they can do. And the other point is you're not just going to a manufacturer and using recycled plastic. It's, it's plastic that was destined to be in the environment. So it's, it's not, not necessarily source reduction because that's on us, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's diversion. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is for those that aren't like into the technical details, Think about it as reduce, reuse, recycle. That are the, the old age adage, and you're going beyond um, the recycle because you're preventing it from being in the landfill or in the ocean, and you're making it to something that people are going to wear. And as Jessa said, talk about and bring. Right. So long-winded way of asking, what is your definition of sustainability? That's a, that's a really good question. And and the longer that I've been, you know, in this in the sustainable space. Uh, People are then are now saying well, sustainability is just a, a very uh, ambiguous term that people are using to sell product right now. It's a trendy thing and um, it's 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 not very well defined. Um, so I, I I believe in sustain uh, sustainability is is an honest supply chain uh, and and as that honest supply chain it, it needs to make sure that it's it's hitting. A, a few different things, right? It's, it's it's supporting the community that the 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 that the product is most impacting, right? Or the plastic pollution is impacting. It's it's uh, supporting the environment in case it does get put out there again. And it's it's cleaning up. Uh, it's it's cleaning up uh, the environment that it was, like you said, destined to be. I suppose uh, that's that's how I would define it. And. Uh, you know, these other companies that are saying that they're using sustainability, sustainable products, th- that's, that's fine that they might be, and they, they might be contributing a lot in different ways to, to the, to different groups. And, and I'm not saying that they're not doing a good job, but these other companies that are saying that they're using a very low percentage of recycled product to, to say that, that they're sustainable and that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. And it's not being re- it's not being recirculated back into those community. That's, in my opinion, is not promoting a circular economy. And, cir- and, and to me, circular economies is synonymous with sustainability and a, an honest supply chain. So th- that's kind of my stance on that. It's a really great question, Laurel. I never even actually thought of what how I would define sustainability. And I think yeah. that's an important question that everybody should be asking themselves if they're in the direct to consumer or business to business business. You know. It's, it's almost um, like a self-awareness, introspective exercise to think about, there's all these words. I know I'm not greenwashing. I know this is an honest supply chain. Right. 
what does this mean to me? And some of the people that we've asked, like the director of sustainability at the University of San Diego, mm-hmm. their definition is care for the common home. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right? I have chills. Yeah. It just gets yeah. me. And then another that. one, another one we did is uh, we found was take care of the environment and she will take care of you, which is another mm-hmm. way of saying take care of all the things that impact your environment. Your school profit will follow. Yeah. And another definition I, that resonates with me is the simplest way of explaining it is is leaving something better than you found it, and it's every part of it. Being thoughtful and strategic about all of your supply chain and all of mm-hmm. the stakeholders and leaving them all better off because you existed. And to me, Opolis is not just there, but expanding upon that. And your, right. your, your vision is in total alignment with leaving things better than how you found yeah. it. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to steal a lot of those. So I'll go back to this recording and <laughs> yeah. start putting that in my marketing. But no, Laurel, like when you said that, I had like a gulp moment. I'm like, oh God, this is, this is a really good question. You know, um, and I think it's a really important one. So, well, so thank it, you for that, James. When you and I were talking before this, um, you had pointed out something that I had never thought about. You know, we talk about greenwashing because you can slap sustainability on anything, and you can make it in like you know, like you you mentioned a few words like circular economy. Like we are yeah. big on like regenerative business, circular economy, like sustainability at this point, isn't good enough. Right. And, but even when you say like, so, oh, we're sustainable, we're green. There's nothing regulating that. Nothing. Anyone can say that yeah. about anything. Yeah. And so I think it's such an important thing. And then as consumers, you know, it's like, how do we know? And so I think we have a responsibility to do due diligence and vote with our dollars. Like where are we spending our money and do we feel good about this? And then with some of us, like, you know, you don't have time. Like we're just trying to get through day to day and you just need to get, you know, whatever. So you get the first thing on the shelf, you get the first thing that pops up on Amazon. But we talk a lot on here about B Corps and B corporations. And that's a website where you can go through and you can do some due diligence to find brands. Yeah. You can look for the B Corp symbol on products that have been verified and stamped. And we are connected to a company they're in beta mode but they're launching a website called by choice buy and where you can filter by products based on the certification they have like if they're a b corp if they are organic if they're a rainforest alliance whatever and so we're starting to get more tools to do that but even then it's like unless it's something like b corp or this like you know rigorous third-party certification I mean, I, I'm, I'm a victim. I do it all the same. I'm like at the store and I need something that says, we're green. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like good enough. And I go this on. And- yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, a part of that too is, Jessa, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday too, is, is just being a member of one, 1% of the planet. Um, they're an amazing organization, but they, they have street cred. They have, they're the, the founder of Patagonia yeah, is representing that company, you know? Um, so I th- feel like someone like them really brings to the forefront, um, this, this thought process that the consumers might, might undertake when they're buying things now, being like, if they see a 1% uh, planet membership or logo somewhere and they're like, Oh, these people have been gone through the certification process of being a member of the 1%, not only that, but, one percent of their revenue will go to these amazing um, NGOs or organizations that are supporting the environment in, in some way. Um, so I, th- I think it's 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 memberships like that um, that there needs to be more, um, especially within within the, the U.S. market. Uh, I, I think that the European market has is is much more well aware of 
of uh, the sustainable and, and um, environmental impacts that their products are, are making in the world. Our friends from Gobag, they're they're ama- amazing um, uh, uh, company from based in Germany that just la- relaunched their their company here in North America. But they're they're making these awesome messenger bags out of PET fabric that's sourced from fishermen in Indonesia. But the the Germans are are. And the Europeans are so more more willing to, to to buy products and spend more money on that supply chain and and and, and whatnot, and and that the Americans, you know, because because we're just so uh, consumed now, 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 it's 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 a little bit, uh, it's we're at a point where you know let's just do a little bit more research and and, and figuring out where these products are coming and how they're impacting the environment and the world. Um, yeah, I can I concur, and I. We, hopefully, in the future, the vision is that none of these third-party certifications are needed. It's just how life and business is done. You know, agriculture is regenerative. The soil is fertile, so no additives need to be in. No additional inputs need to be injected to make up for the bad. It's only compounding positive values. Yeah, and and hopefully, like, is that Opolis's dream is to put themselves out of business on the optics line? God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal. Um, And then then figure out what else needs to be solved, right? So, um, I mean, there's so much that needs to be done, um, but I I feel like we won't get there. But if we're making an impact somehow in some way, I, I have to believe that would be a success. Um, we're working with some amazing partners that every, every part of our packaging is using some type of PET, uh, like our cases, our, our microcross, everything's being made out of PET, PET. So when you get our product, you're actually picking up more than just one water bottle. You're, you're picking up three or four. Um, so my, my goal is this, if we can create a new standard of making sunglasses, I I hope that all the other sunglasses companies out there are going to be a huge competitor of ours because they're using the same process. Right. And then, you know, it's like a domino effect. If all the sunglasses companies are using the PET formula into making their, their beautiful sunglasses, then, then hopefully that will trans uh, that will transform into another uh, durable PET manufacturing for another company that uses plastics. Um, and I will just say I was really excited. I think uh, it was January first. Um, REI came out with a great announcement saying that they're only going to be carrying sustainable products uh, and fairly traded products that are essentially certified. Um, and I think it's really important for companies like REI, just like it's really important for like one percent of the planet, to actually put those put those roots down um, to to help uh, change the mindset set in the industry. Because it's every it's every gearhead's dream to be put into an REI, right? To have their products sold in there, and so if they're go- if they're going through the steps, and that means that others will will follow suit soon. And I hope that that changes the industry standard as well. Um, and then I hope with that comes with more auditing and certification of of of, of companies that are claiming that they're sustainable sustainable. Um, Because it holds people and and brands more accountable for what they're selling to the market. And this is um, a burden to bear. And you're bearing it beautifully. And I thank you for showing up for the environment and seeing a problem and being a solutions thinker instead of just a complainer and being a part of the solution. I applaud you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And my next question is, um, so with this burden that you bear and mm. know all that you know, how do you take care of yourself as an entrepreneur so that you can show up for your brand and be resilient when you get the no's and celebrate when you get the yeses? How does James take care of himself? I make sure that I'm, I'm in the environment every day. Um, I'm very lucky, lucky to live in Venice beach. I'm, I'm in the water every day surfing or I'm running on the beach. Um, it's, it's my happy place. Um, and even, you know, it's those moments when I do see trash floating around me or seeing on the beach, it's, 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 those are the constant reminders that I'm doing this for a reason because it's even impacting me. It's not just developing countries. I mean, God, I think last year, California spent over $400 million that goes into the cleanups for their beaches. I mean, it's a, it's a problem here too, right? So it's just these constant reminders, even here at home in California, that, this, that I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for a reason. And I'm, I'm in this on my own terms. Working with the government was amazing, but there was too much red tape. There was, there was too many obstacles in, in, in to, to make real difference and in, in, in quick difference. And so this is how I'm, I'm going to try to make an impact on my terms and, and, and within my timeline. So that's a great question as well. Um, and, and basically just trying to smile every day uh, yeah. and, la and laugh at some of the stuff that I'm dealing with on a constant basis. Uh, people asking for tons of money when I don't have any. And like, you know, it's just one of those things that as an entrepreneur, you just got to kind of laugh about it. And to be honest, uh, having my bull my bulldog and my girlfriend, you know, through, you know, here with me and, and watch me go through these trials and tribulations is, is, has been a blessing as well. So it's we dog fans. Yeah. So <laughs> is that what you're going to say? We're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think she's here. She's right here. Let's see her special appearance. But <laughs> oh yeah, this is Noel the bulldog. So Noel. yeah. 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 A delicate name for such a, Oh my God. And there's, Oh my God. Who is that? I just woke up my, my little mini Aussie scoop. We also call her the pig. The pig. I love her. She looks disoriented. <laughs> yeah. We're, we've got, and Jessa has Roxy, which is like the best office dog ever. She, she's at home right now. She's uh, yeah. She'll look at you. Yeah. A lot of personality. Just listen to your soul. And that's that's the part of it. It's the joy and the humor in life. I mean, Jess and I talk about this all the time. Nothing that she and I are doing is that serious. We're not in an ambulance like saving lives. Um, we, I mean, it's important work. But at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying it, why? Right. Well, it's not stuff to get, I think, too, you know, Laurel and I are, you know, for us, like, one of our core values is, like, humor, or joy. And, you know, we've gotten criticism. I should say criticism. We've gotten some feedback that people might not respond well to that, but we're same thing. Like nothing we're doing day to day is, you know, if someone cancels a meeting, if someone's late, if someone, you know, the audio doesn't work on the podcast, like right. it's so it's not worth the stress and anxiety. Like there are real problems out there and we're all trying to come together to solve them or to do better, you know, but it's not worth sweating the small stuff on a day to day basis. And uh, so well, I think I think the COVID I think the COVID thing has is, is, is reminded people what's important. Um, you know, people people are dying every day, um, and but during this process, the planet has asked the 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 community of humans just to like take a step back. You know, 
don't drive everywhere, get on your bike, you know, and we saw the, the results from that, the pollution and smog, even in California has been, been reduced, I think, more than it's been in, in years and years and years. So, I mean, that's a sign, you know, that, that we just need to kind of, you know, stand back, reflect, and then learn from our lessons and then move forward. Um, and, and this, this figure, I think, I think they said by 2050, if we, ke- we keep on consuming plastic the way that we do, there's going to be more, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than marine life. Oh, okay. Well, and that, yeah. And that, and that sticks with me every day. Sure. And like, you know, picturing my kids and their kids ha- having that in their life, just, you know, it just makes me so sad. Um, it, so Sorry, it reminds me of your red tape comment. Yeah. So you were frustrated because, you know, of course, government and nonprofits have important missions. And sometimes the bureaucracy and the red tape get in the way of that important mission. And then business needs to step in because that's where creativity and innovation can happen. And that's what this business for good movement is, the stakeholder capitalism movement, the conscious capitalism movement. All of that is about having a longer term view, but allowing for creative problem solving. Now, that said, I want to reiterate that government and nonprofits are really important in this work. They're huge. Yeah, You can't do the work that you do without your public private partnerships. Right. 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 Tell us a little bit about how you started those partnerships and how crucial they are for you. Yeah, that's a good question, Laurel. So the, the partnerships, um, the partnerships started actually when I was working with the government, um, and that's that's who I've made partnerships in these different countries. Um, but I've I've also made made uh, partnerships and and with other brands and, and organizations um, that have fallen in love with the story and the concept of what Opolis can do um, and the potential. Right? It's it's the potential. Um, and when you meet me, you you can understand my enthusiasm for the Opolis. I'm not going away anytime soon, um, and and I think a lot of people get that right off the bat. They they know that I'm I'm invested in in making a difference and making this work one way or another. Um, I have the background. I I have the I have the network, um, and I mean I was. <laughs> I was running projects in Iraq, uh, you know, with violence extremism. Um, I, I think I think if I did a good job there, I can I can make an impact here, um, and I think people trust that, and that's that's one of the main uh, I think uh, convincing uh, aspects of, of of working with me. Um, it's it's been hard as a young organization, you know, to to get people to respond to you. And I'm, I'm sure Laurel and Jesse, you've had experiences with your backgrounds and in, 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 in dealing with this. But once once we're introduced, I show my marketing deck, I've, I've, I've gone through everything and they've, they've learned my story. It, it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a meaningful one. Um, and what I've learned as being an entrepreneur is take care of your relationships, be good to your relationships. Um, and that's something that, you know, is just, how I live my life anyway. Um, and through my years with the government, I've maintained those relationships. That's why I could call the folks in Kenya. That's why I could fall, fall you know, in Indonesia and Manila and these other company or these other people from these other com- countries have actually called me like, James, if you're ever thinking about having or starting a program here, we'd love to be involved. 
I'm, ge I'm getting that left and right, you know, from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan uh, to uh, South Africa. It's been an amazing thing. It's just, it's just, I need to focus on these three countries one, you know, one at a time, because I need to make sure that the programs are running so I can implement that same program in other countries. Um, so that's like a long winded uh, answer to your question, Laurel, but. You said, take care of your relationships, be good to your relationships. And that's how you yeah. live. I, you know, on article 22's website, she has a, a line called be good. And her story says be good. And that's based on Rebecca Rush's story around her father on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and herself as, a, as an avid athlete. And that is so simple and so clear. It's so important. It's like be good. Yeah. And to Rob Greenfield's point, like start at step one. Like, yeah. Just what was the um, first tiny practical step you took? that you're really proud of and you want to share that might inspire other entrepreneurs to just take the first step towards your dream. Oh my God. I, uh, I just, I just, well, it's not a first step. It was the first leap. I just, I just did it. I, I thought of that. I came up with the concept and I said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I know a lot of people have tried to do that while working to other jobs. And, you know, it's, I've been, I've been blessed through family and friends and support and what I earned with the government that I was able to really just focus and dive in on this. But I think if you truly care about what you're doing, um, I think you need to go all in. Um, and, and, and I think that will resonate with whoever you're talking to because they'll know, they'll take you seriously. They'll, they'll, they'll take the organization and, and the mission seriously. If you've, if you've put your heart in, uh, and soul into it. So I think that's the first step. It was the first leap that I just, you know, it said, screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this and I'm going to make it work. It's committing. It's committing yeah. and believing and taking a risk and having some trust in yourself that you can do it. And I think that's, that's such good advice because I see so many people who tried to start something and they, sorry if you can hear that, they, um, <laughs> I put a podcast studio right next to a train track. Um, <laughs> live and learn, right? But they, they don't go all in and they kind of put some time to it. You know, I've heard before from founders and investors that investors, they want to see you all in. They're like, well, why should I put my money in if you don't trust yourself enough? And so many people are like, well, I can't because I have X, Y, Z. And it's one of those things you just have to take a leap of faith and figure it out. Like it really, like you, you take on debt, you take on loans, like there are ways to do it. Um, you save, you make a plan and you save and you cut back in other areas. And I mean, I'm, I am not a poster child for financial responsibility whatsoever, yeah. but I think when you have these dreams and these ideas, it's kind of like the fears of doing it. It's of what if you don't do it? Right. You know, you're always going to have that in the back of your mind. And that's something that would just haunt me, you know? So that's, that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm trying my hardest just to make sure that that never, that's never a thought that comes into my head. Um, you know, so. So for I, you, for like, was it the, the leap to the sunglasses? Was it a result? So you were working with this other company prior who was making sunglasses out of um, new plastic, virgin plastic. Right, right. And was that, or were you just like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't feel good about this. I'm going to do this better. Like, was that the, the leap you made? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it, it was, I kind of like had my aha moment. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience because it let me take something like sunglasses to make it, to make a difference, right? All I needed to do was figure something out to, to, uh, dedicate myself to that goal I had made when I was traveling through these countries and seeing all the plastic, I was like, look, I can do something with this. I know, and I can do it really well. And so that was, that was, I guess, Laurel, that can go back to my first step or my leap, but that was like the aha moment that I had. And, uh, given where, where, where the market is going now and consumers are, 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 are very smart and they're doing their research. And with all the questions we were getting about single use plastic, I was like, this is, this is where we need to be. And then this is where the industry needs to go. Right. From a capitalist aspect to an environmental awareness aspect. This is where we need to go. Um, and sunglasses is, is such an easy way to, to initiate that change. It's, it, you know, it, because once, once you, you apply that technology to sunglasses, you can apply that to anything. Just like these awesome companies that are, are doing the, with the PET fabric. I want to be able to, to revolutionize the way that they're using durable, durable PET, which is the hard part. It's, it's to make this virgin, this, this recycled plastic, their properties uh, strong enough to, to be a premium product. And that's what we, we are, is a premium product. Um, well, I think what you said right there is like revolutionizing. I mean, you're yeah. changing, you're, you, will ha- you will be setting the new standard and the new goal. And so once you set the standard and it, it, it's a good thing for you to be copied and for other companies to copy for your sure. model. I mean, that it's, it's really interesting to think about that way. Like, I think, you know, when you start a business, you can assume you might be copied, but I think in your position, it's almost like that's the goal. Like we want to do so well that we want other people to to do this as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's like the new form of capitalism, right? It's not keeping the cards close to the table. It's like your competition is a stakeholder in this process. Bring them to the table. Let's all do this. Put ourselves out of business and start something else. Else, right. Exactly. To to solve a problem and the the maybe durability is your definition of sustainability. I've heard somebody say that to me and mm. I can't put my finger on who it was, but the, Oh, I do know who it was. It was a restoration ecology firm that focused cool. on, on remediation or putting habitat together in the most sustainable way. And the way that they described sustainability was a durable system. Yeah. That's so amazing. When, when the ecosystem is healthy and healthy. it's a relationship with each other, it's durable. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. You guys are very smart people on your show. I don't know what <laughs> I'm doing. You're being on our show, yeah. smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I guess the next step too in getting that durable PET is that then you have to you have to start understanding the the chemical makeup of what it means if you're putting that PET back in the sunlight because then it's emitting uh, you know CO2 and then everything else. So that's like the next step as well. There's always something to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and always things that think, we think about. So once, once I'm out of business with the sunglasses thing, I can focus on that. You, you won't be bored. <laughs> no, I'm hope, I'm hope, I hope not. I hope not. So with Opalus, where you're at right now is you are, you're still, like you mentioned earlier, like you're making some refinements to the final product. And Correct. so, you know, I know if you go to your website, I can pull it up here. Um, opalusoptics.com. Um, I saw that you could sign up to be notified when you launch and get a discount, which Correct. is a perk if I've ever seen one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, where we're at right now um, is that, like I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, we are launching in April with our uh, bioacetate or our biodegradable uh, uh, collection. Um, it will come out with two styles, uh, three different colorways. Um, and then the PET, after the process is refined, is that that collection will be launched in July. Um, and, and again, I, I know we're really harping. Our, our, our story is the PET. Um, and the bioacetate is, is something to help us raise awareness on using sustainable and up, upcycled products to promote the R&D and the, 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 the launch of that PET. Um, the bioacetate collection is a really cool collection where it's, it uses, um, hemp, uh, kelp and, uh, what is the other one? Uh, I'm forgetting the other material, but basically it's not, it's not oil based like many of these other acetates. Uh, the oil based, uh, are produced, uh, synthetically and they're actually bad for the environment. So when you use these organic and, and natural fibers and materials, it's actually it's actually great. It's better for the environment. I can say great. Um, and under the right conditions, we've actually tested this with our manufacturer. Is that the biodegradable uh, uh, material will actually uh, degrade over 115 days under the right conditions? Wow. So it is it is a very cool process. We're going to be doing a whole creative around that and showing that process. But it, it is really cool to kind of see that degradation um, aspect, you know, come into to fruition. Um, and to be honest, that should be a whole other that should be another standard for all sunglasses companies using bioacetate, biodegradable material and using PET. This should be this just the, the way forward um, and consumers should, should demand for it, um, in my opinion. You heard it here first, and your earlier story about the reason why you you saw an opportunity was because people were talking and asking you about single-use plastics and what to do with it. Right. So that's a lesson yeah. for listeners about consumer demand and vocalizing what you want because it does actually make a difference. Even just writing a letter, responding to a review, or even in private, contacting someone saying, hey, I have an idea. You know, right. we, we interviewed uh, Sensi Graves, a Sensi Graves Swim. And she has up on her website, a part of my sustainability process is you telling me what ideas you have. Because mm. I'm not the expert. Please help me. I and love that. Don't you? Isn't it yeah. just, it's so honest. Speaking it's so honest. The supply chain. It's like, right. I, here's my supply chain. I'm honest about this. I want to, I want to do what's right. I know I don't have all the answers. Please help me. I'm listening. Yeah. Love it. Well, that's what was killing me with the other company too, is that, I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. I, I mean, other than saying, no, it, it is a single use, but we do have a one-for-one -one program and it was, it's a great program, but it was, it was killing me that I, I couldn't do something about that question. You know, it was, it was killing me. Um, well, and, I think, dude, and I, I just was, I think, you know, we're probably getting close to wrapping up, but I would love to have the last word. Just kidding. So when you're talking about being able to talk about the supply chain, I mean, it's transparency. You're able to answer those questions yeah. And by being able to answer those questions and being transparent, that creates trust. Right. And establish that trust is how you are able to um, maintain these relationships all over the world and maintain them long term. And so yeah. I think like this is just such an amazing path forward for you and how you're going to establish your customer base and just like be an open book. Be like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. These are the next steps. You know, feel good about it. And mm -hmm. um and it's going to establish that trust. And I look forward to having a pair soon. Oh, you guys are going to be some of my first customers. I will, I will get some to you as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. 
Yay. For sure. We'll be on the podcast wearing, we'll be like wearing our sunglasses. Well, you guys are wearing the jewelry and everything else. No, I was like, we're going to be all sweaty. I know, I know. I need, I need some Opolis swag on you guys for your your next interview. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we uh, wrap up with our three-point landing. So give us three key takeaways for our listeners from our conversation today. Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning. So for, for me, on a supply chain, start to understand how that supply chain Im- impacts everybody involved. Uh, treat your relationships very well. Be good to, to, to the people that are, are in your life and the network that you meet. Um, and be proactive, be proactive in, in the environment, whether it's, you know, you're picking up trash on your, at your local beach or, or getting involved in, 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 in local or, or, or national initiatives. Uh, that's, that's, that's kind of how it, and, and definitely hold the market accountable. I think that's, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest message I can ask questions, make sure that they're answering, answering you with the, with the right information, or if they're not answering you with the right information, tell, have them get you the information. Um, So I think those are the three biggest takeaways. I love it. Thank you so much. We had a great time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, Jessa and Laurel, you guys are amazing. Um, this has been a great opportunity and, and I hope to be on a- again when, and, and have more information and exciting news for you. Yes. Yeah. Look forward to it. Stay tuned. Awesome. All right. Send it, Jessa. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Orion Podcast. If you're looking for a thoughtful gift for yourself or others, Shop ethical jewelry with a story at article22.com. Enjoy 10% off qualifying purchases with promo code ORION10. That's www.article22.com and code ORION10. Enjoy!